This is David Tarkington, lead pastor of First Baptist Church of Orange Park and the First Family Network. Thank you for downloading the sermon today. I encourage you to check out our website at firstfam.org. And if you get a chance, go to my blog, davidtarkington.com. Old Testament book of Ezekiel. As we continue in our study through this prophet's writings under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he is addressing at this point, continuing through a vision that God has given him, addressing the sin of God's people and the discipline of our God upon the people. He has been able to see some things taking place in a vision in the city of Jerusalem, and it's abhorrent and it's evil, and this is a continuation of that, but also the instructions from God on what is to be done. I would say that this may be perhaps one of the most shocking chapters you have read or I have read at least recently. So I'm in Ezekiel chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to follow along. It'll have it on the screen here before you. I believe there are Bibles there in the pew rack there you can use as well. Beginning in verse 1, Ezekiel writes, Then he cried in my ears with a loud voice, saying, Bring near the executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate which faces north, each with his weapon for slaughter in his hand. And with them was a man clothed in linen with a writing case at his waist, and they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of God, of the God of Israel, had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold of the house, and he called to the man clothed in linen, who had the writing case at his waist. And the Lord said to him, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of all the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. And to the others he said, In my hearing, pass through the city after him, and strike, your eye, and strike. Your eye shall not spare, and you shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one of whom, on whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the house. Then he said to them, Defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go out. So they went out and struck in the city. And while they were striking and I was left alone, I fell upon my face and cried, Ah, Lord God, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel in the outpouring of your wrath on Jerusalem? And then he said to me, The guilt of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great. The land is full of blood and the city full of injustice. For they say the Lord has forsaken the land and the Lord does not see. As for me, my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will bring their deeds upon their heads. And behold, the man clothed in linen, with the writing case at his waist, brought back words, saying, I have done as you have commanded me. It's a challenging word. It's a, God, it's a word for us today as we read this. It may shock you to see some of that which Ezekiel had written, and that I guess it should. Some of you here may have at some point, maybe you're even doing so now, working in your job where you're in the role of collection agent. And I'm not referring to those that pick up the trash on the front lawn. I'm referring to those that contact individuals who have been delinquent in their payment of bills or that which they owe. In other words, you're working in collections. It's a, it's, a, it's a good job, it's a legitimate job, but it's a challenging one as well because most of the time when you show up to someone's house to let them know they owe you money or you call them, they're either screening the calls and not answering them or they are not welcoming you into their home. My father has had a number of jobs throughout his life, his uh, career in the Air Force of over, um, over almost 30 years, I believe, and then he retired from there. 
and went on to work at a hospital for a season, worked for the city of Nashville and, and retired from there and then went back home to his hometown in western Tennessee and was a city manager and then that job was over and then it was too early still for him to be so retired that he could sit home with my mom and so he, he went to, by her recommendation, he got another job and so he had a he had a job there for his last job that he has since retired from was working for a, a, a gentleman that he knew that owned a company and made quite a bit of money on this company that he was uh, manufacturing and building sheds, those sheds that are in the backyards of people's houses, the ones, you know, like Cheryl has, the she shed that burned down, those sheds. So he was working for this company. He wasn't in manufacturing, but he was, uh, I did not even know this existed, but a lot of these uh, sheds that were manufactured, high-quality sheds, were not sold. Uh, they were leased. They were rented. And so they would be dropped off by, at an individual's house or at their place of business, and then they would pay their monthly mortgage on their she shed to the company until it was paid off. But some of these, these houses, some of these places where they placed them, uh, if they chose, like there was one instance, this was another company my dad was telling me about, they had, they, uh, it was a competitor or a nearby company doing the same thing, they had uh, purchased the shed and they did not want to pay for it any longer, and so when they found out that the shed repo man was on his way, they relocated it to an island somewhere in the middle of Kentucky Lake, I believe. And so the photographs on the, the CEOs uh, in his office are those that he is very proud of, of the helicopter they rented to go to the island, to strap on the shed, and to bring it back home. It sounds like a, an Amazon Prime made-for-TV show, but uh, repoing sheds. But nevertheless, that's what he did. I joked with him. I said, you're a repo man for sheds. He said, I guess so. I said this, you're going to get shot. He said... I hope not. So for the last few years or so, that's what he did. And he would go to these places. And it was, he said never were, was anybody really excited to see him show up. He really wasn't the repo man necessarily. He was the one they determined. And they, they ran this thing. They said it was cheaper to hire somebody to drive from West Tennessee to West Virginia to Kansas to Georgia to Mississippi to Louisiana. And that's what would happen every week on Monday. They would get three or four of the guys. That was their job. They would divvy it up. They would get out their maps. And they, he told me this. He said, some places we go, Google Maps doesn't go. So they have to use paper maps sometimes. And then they have to go find the sheds because they're portable. And then they have to go tell them they still owe money. And he said like 90% of the time, once individuals showed up and said, you still owe money, that's all he had to do is you still owe, you're delinquent in your payment. They started paying again. So if they didn't, then somebody else showed up later with a flatbed truck and took the she shed home. That was a job. And one time I get in the car, I'm going to lunch with him, and I get in the car with him. It's a company car, and, and, and in the back, of it's a little suburban. In the back, he has a boot. And the boot, you know, those metal things they attach to your, to your wheels. I've told some of you these stories before if you come on our Wednesday morning studies. But these, these metal boots they attach downtown if you're illegally parked. They, and, and he had one of those. And I said, why do you have that? And he said, well, that's in case, uh, you know, they don't want to pay. I, I'm gonna, I said, you're going to put a boot on a shed? It was not, at no point was this making any sense to me because the shed's still there and now it has a boot on it. He said, no, no, no. He said, not only were we renting sheds, but for a season there, they got out of it eventually, we were renting wheels to cars. Nice chrome wheels with spinners on them that are very expensive. 
more expensive than the cars they're put on. I didn't know people rented those. They apparently rent the stereo system inside the car too. So it's a, no, I'm not making this up. So if they, and I said, so you're going into areas in northern Louisiana and in the hills of West Virginia and in East Tennessee, you're going into places where people are renting wheels for their hoopties. That's what you're doing. And he said, I got that hoopty word from Joy Purdy. So anyway, she, she, She's not here. You, you can t- oh, yeah, yeah, you know you said that to me. You texted me that. I had to correct you on the spelling, but I got, anyway, nevertheless. So he's running these wheels, and I looked at him and I said, he said, it's a little more dangerous, you think? Well, he never got shot. He has since retired, but here's what I thought about as I read chapter 9. The repo man is never welcomed. I mean, it, it, no one's really excited to see the repo man show up. No one's excited to see someone pull up into the driveway or with a flatbed trailer and saying, hey, that truck you own, you, uh, you're, you're delinquent, we're taking it back. That motorcycle, we're taking it back. That, uh, those wheels on that car, we're taking them back. The she shed, we're taking it back. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to see that. And so there is this, this, this frustration, this anger, this, this, this feeling that grows, and it is a little bit dangerous for those going in to get these But as I'm reading this, here's where it kind of jumped off the page to me. I said, here are these people who have justified their sin by declaring God has abandoned them, which he did not. They just didn't like the discipline. And in their self-declaration that God has forgotten them, they are now choosing to live the way they want to live. And God, in His, as a loving Father, is saying, if I'm going to be a loving God, I am also a just God, and I will not put up with the sin that you are declaring is okay. So here comes a day. And it's the day that the collections are due. And you don't like it when that day shows up. And that's what's happening here. So if you think the owners of property are shocked when the repo man shows up, think how shocking this experience is by those who owe much more than monthly leasing fees. And it is a shocking passage. One of our, Brian over at Oak Harbor, he texted me this week as we're working through this. And, and Drace preached this last night. But, but, but we're having these conversations. He said, you know, I'm reading through this, and there are things in here that, that are just kind of shaking me to the core regarding, you know, what we're dealing with and what the discipline looks like and, and, and how does this fit in my understanding. And, and, and I told him the very same thing. I said, I'm with you on this. This is not an easy read. So there, are, in, in typical pastor fashion, I've got three points. But I think it leads well into what we need. And so the first thing I've noticed is this shocking discipline that is revealed. It is a shocking discipline. Following the revelation of the deep sin being practiced by those who claim to be the children of God, and they were, they were the children of God by virtue of being children of Israel, Ezekiel has shown a vision that is shocking to this point. At the beginning of chapter 9, six executioners are entered into the city, welcomed into the city, are brought into the city. And this vision of these six executioners are coming in with their swords, and they represent different nations that are going to come into the nation of Israel and overtake them and invade them and plunder them and do horrendous things to the nation. And what is amazing is that these godless nations are being used by the holy God for God's purposes, even though they don't acknowledge God as being God. But because of the disobedience of God's own people, God is allowing this to take place. 
To see these executioners come in should not be such a shock as we have seen something similar in the book of Exodus when the people of Israel were held as slaves and the angel of death was sent over the city and to take out and wipe out all the firstborns. You remember that story? We're just a few books later. The harshness of the discipline as Ezekiel is presented this shocks him and it shocks us. It catches our attention. This passage says this, if you wonder what I'm landing on and what is so um, troubling, look at verse 5 again. And to the others he said in my hearing, pass through the city after him and strike. Your eyes shall not spare and you shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women. But touch no one on whom is a mark and begin at the sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the house and he said to them, defile the house and fill the courts with the slain, go out. And they went out and struck the city. And what is shocking in this passage is, as we see that the delineated list of who is going to be taken out, it's not just the men who are of age that fight in the army. It's old men, old people, and children, and women. And and the natural reaction, I guess from the human reaction, is, oh, that is so unfair. Because they're so innocent. Now, I can get where you might say that children are innocent, but just because someone is old doesn't make them innocent. I'm old, I'm not innocent. And the older I get, the less innocent I feel. You see how kind of that works? So, but, but you're looking at, it's the, it's the old people, it's the senior adults, it's the infirmed, it's the, it's the children, and it's the women, and it's the young men. And it's like, we're just going to make sure you understand the reality. It's everybody here. And this is what is so shocking to the modern reader, because we though I don't know if that's the, way, the God I like. And it really doesn't matter if it's the God you like, it's the God who is. And when the God who is reveals himself for who he is, he didn't ask us to vote on it. This is who he is. And and here's what's strange. This is not unloving. Now that's a real stretch. So let let me walk you through some of this here, okay? This is the discipline by a loving God and the righteous punishment for sin. And we must remember this. God never punishes the innocent. And I know people go, oh, I don't know about that. I do know about it. And God never punishes the innocent. Because that is declared throughout Scripture over and over and over and over and over again. Your challenge is, find an innocent. But nevertheless, God does not punish the innocent. We tend to read this, and through our own rereading, we believe that Jerusalem is a city full of victims. Jerusalem is not a city full of victims. Jerusalem is a city full of sinners. And all of a sudden, it becomes very clear that our our understanding of sin may not be what the biblical teaching is because it doesn't offend us nearly as much as perhaps it should. What God does here should not shock the Christian. This is not strange. It is not out of character for a loving God. It is not out of character for a holy God. Imagine this, a holy God who will not put up with sin. That's what you're seeing here. God is doing exactly what he told these people and their forefathers what he would do. And you can read Leviticus 26 to find out more. God is punishing sin, and God is disciplining his people. But what is shocking is this. What is shocking is that people today would be shocked at the holy God judging sin. You see... When, when people either continually hear that the teachings of the past have been outdated or that God just wants everybody to get along 
or that the love is love and regardless how you define yourself you're good in god's eyes or you bought into that philosophy of god don't make no junk and you are free to be who god made you to be even if it contradicts the teachings of his infallible word if the bible needs to be rewritten to fit current trends and to not offend no wonder that the judgment of god and the holiness of god is so shocking to modern human beings because this is the cultural shift we now live in the moral degrade the the downgrade of all of that it's just a reality this whole lie of god made me the way i am and i can't help the way i am is an affront to the biblical truth that every human being in the room was born into sin we're a mess from the get-go that whole this is how god made me then it must be okay no for all of us it is not okay see we are born into sin and and when we don't realize that when we don't recognize that when we don't think on that then we miss the reality that sin is an affront to the holiness of god and thanks to our great ancestors adam and eve we are now born into this there are children's bibles out there that are cute and have wonderful pictures in them but they just have some have just really wrong theology in them there's a beginner's bible that's often used with preschoolers and i would say that as you look at that not all of them but i've seen a few there is a then image because one of the favorite stories you know if you're writing a kid's bible you're not doing ezekiel 9 by the way but you probably <laughs> i can just see the cartoon guys with swords with blood dripping off them it's gonna be a great little image for the kids sorry for the kids that are in here but hey You'll have fun talking to your parents at lunch. Now, the children's Bible has the Adam and Eve story. Now, Adam and Eve should be one of the most well-known stories because it's been told over and over again. But in the children's Bibles I've seen, you end up with this image of Eve who was strategically placed tree limbs. It's a kid's Bible. Talking to a snake. And the snake's giving her an apple. And most Christians today are just getting all been out of shape because it wasn't an apple. To which we say, who cares you want to major on the minor there it is go debate and it wasn't an apple who really cares? it was a fruit but what we should be upset about is that eve is talking to a snake and adam's not in the picture adam is in the picture but the imagery is oh eve let's blame it all on the woman She's the one that talked to the snake, and the snake gave her the fruit, and it's all on her. And we miss the fact that it's Adam who is responsible for that relationship, for that protection, for not being a wimp and just standing there silent and allowing sin to happen because it's, you know, I don't, wanna, I don't want her mad at me, or whatever it is. Who's to blame in the sin story? Adam and Eve, with my, my opinion, more weight on Adam than on Eve. But when you erase Adam from the story, we miss the reality of sin. And so here's the thing. Adam and Eve sin. Adam, first man, primary sinner. Eve sins as well. Both are cast out of Eden. Both, they now have children. And because they're not in Eden, they're not in perfection, and the whole world is infected with sin like a cancer in a body, there is nowhere that sin is not rampant and running, and therefore every human being born on the planet is born not innocent and that's why you need a redeemer so what what it does is it thrusts us into an understanding let me give you a quote by rc Sproul on this i thought this was great now he's with the lord right now he passed away a couple years ago died a couple years ago but boy what a statement 
a God who is all love, all grace, all mercy, and no sovereignty, no justice, no holiness, and no wrath is an idol. Because that's not the God of the Bible. So not only is it shocking discipline, it's shocking destruction. What happens here? The payment owed is horrible and frightening. Paul wrote to the Roman Christians years later in Romans 15.4 that whatever was written in previous days was written for our good and for our instruction, meaning this, Ezekiel 9, as challenging and as hard as it is and as much as we may not want to read it, was written for our good and for the instruction. It was saved for us to read so that we may know who God is. This is a God to be feared, to be held in awe, to be worshipped. He is revealing this great expanse between His holiness and the sin that we are born into. And the revealed destruction of the city and the nation is shocking, but it should not be shocking to Christians because God will not be mocked, as Scripture declares. Last night after we were baptizing or right before baptizing our two individuals, a young nine-year-old girl came to me with her mother at the end of the service at Creek Church. Grace is preaching and Jacob's getting ready for the baptism, so I'm in the back. So they come because she, she wants to be baptized. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And then I, in through the conversation, I'm asking this question that every parent would ask. Is she wanting to be baptized because her relative's being baptized? And we go, oh, it may be. And I'm saying, well, that may be the case, but I'll start with that and let's work our way to what the Scripture says. So we didn't baptize her. We're still talking with her. We're going to go through some counseling. But she's, the questions of what baptism means has piqued her interest in what does it mean to be a Christian. We'll take that. So he asked a question. I went through some scripture and I read one. I said, here it says, in Romans it says, the wages of sin is death. Do you know how challenging it is to define a wage to a nine-year-old? What is a wage? I don't know. It's your payment. Do you get paid for anything? No. Okay, let's talk to mom. Mom's there. You got a job, right? Yeah, you got a job. If you do your job and you don't get paid, how happy are you? Not happy at all. Why? Because I did the work. I deserve the pay. Your wage. And then I talked to the girl. I said, the wages of sin is death, and it's the same for everybody, and it always has been that case. But here's the rest of that verse, which is so important. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the difference in a gift and a wage is you have to earn the wage, and you deserve it, and that's what you ought to get. But the gift is free, and there's nothing you can do to deserve it except just receive it. That's all you can do. That's the hope that this story leads us to. The sin and the shocking destruction of God's city should not shock the Christian who recognizes the reality or shock any of us that comes to the understanding that sin has a payment due and the payment due is death and at some point the repo man shows up and says, payment due, you've been delinquent. Thank be to God that, that there is an answer. Not only for the shocking uh, discipline and the shocking destruction, I think the deliverance of God has is even more shocking. Here's the part of the story that should shock us the most. It is not that that God judges sin. That should not shock us. It should not shock us that that people are going to die because of the sin and they're going to be separated from God for eternity. That should not shock us. It should not shock us that, that the holiness of our God is going to shine so brightly that the sin of the world is going to be revealed so clearly and that it must be destroyed and it must be taken care of that should not shock us but what should shock us is that in the sense of all of the human beings on the planet in the sense of all the undeservedness that we all own that god in his righteousness in his grace would so desire to save us we don't deserve it and yet he says this is what's owed and the bill's got to be paid so i'm going to send my son 
to die so that you can be delivered. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve the grace he's offered. And Ezekiel, Ezekiel is crying out to God because he's saying, are there not any righteous in the city? And here's what it says in that, in, in, in the midst of watching this take place before his eyes, while they were striking them dead, Ezekiel says, I was left alone. I fell on my face and I cried, oh, Lord God, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel in the outpouring of your wrath on Jerusalem? So remember back at the beginning of the story, there are six guys that have swords and there's one guy with a pen. Six guys with swords ready to wipe them out. One guy wearing white linen wearing it with a pen. Pen is mightier than the sword in reality right here. Because that pre-existent, pre-incarnate Christ, that angelic being that represents the holiness of God, is given an instruction in that city. And he says, go throughout the city and I want you to find those who are sighing and grieving over the sin being take, taking place in the city. I want you to find the ones, find the ones who are feeling like it's never been this bad, but they're not going along with the crowd. Find the ones that are not justifying sin. Find the ones that are crying every night because of what's taking place in my temple. Find the ones that are offended that sin is being accepted and when you find them get your pen out and put a mark on them and then mark that one and then mark that one and then when the executioners come through the ones with the mark they're going to be fine but they're going to be in the minority and there won't be that many of them and they would never win an election they would never be voted most popular they would, ne they would probably be considered odd, weird, strange, old-fashioned, haters, whatever you want to call them. But I want you to mark them. Because it's not so much that they're angry, but they're grieved. Dre said this uh, two Saturday nights ago, and, and it's a great quote. I want to just reference this. So often as Christians, what we think is when we become Christians, we are saved from hell. And I guess that's the, the way it's been taught. We, uh, I'm a Christian now. I don't have to go to hell. I've been saved from hell. Well, to a degree, that's accurate, but unfortunately, it's not necessarily biblical fully. Because it's not so much that you and I as Christians were saved from hell. What we've been saved from is the wrath of God. And that should shift the way we think about a whole lot of things. And I'm not making it up. Let me just read it to you out of Romans. Paul writes this in Romans 5, verse 9. Here's what he says. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, Christ died on the cross, paid the bill, covered it. Because of Christ's blood, because He justified our sin, much more shall we be saved by Him, Christ, from the wrath of God. You're not saved from hell. Hell is a place you and i are saved from the judgment we deserve defined as the wrath of a holy god and i know that is conflicting for some because they're going how can god be so wrathful does that mean he's hateful no that means he's so so loving that he would get ezekiel pull him out let him see a vision have him write some stuff down and have all the other prophets write things down have the disciples follow jesus christ write it down have paul come to know him and write it down so that we would have it written down for us all these years later so that we have a shot that is what is shocking that we have a chance 
His love supersedes all of that. He says, this is what they deserve. Righteousness and judgment will come. You can't avoid that. But I'm going to make a way. And it's a narrow way. But it's a way. There's only one way. But it's the way. And as children of God, we should not be content with our sin. We should not be glossing it over or justifying it or excusing it or necessarily the sins of others we we must not lead others to sin by our actions we 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 can't fall into legalism we can't do that but we also cannot be silent as adam was silent in the garden of eden now that doesn't necessarily mean get on facebook and start telling everybody how sinful they are i'm not quite sure that's very effective i am thankful they they created the unfollow button So that I can be your friend but not see everything you post. Because so often we major on the minors and we miss the point. You know, you can win a debate and lose a soul. You got to be careful. You got to be holy. You got to be righteous in this. Why would God give Ezekiel this vision? Why would he reveal to us these words? I believe so that he. One could shockingly save us and use us to warn others. What if a man in linen walked into the room right now with a writing pad at his side? How many of us would be sighing or grieving for the sins in our families, in our city, in our community, in our nation, in our world? To such a degree. We may not be marked the way they marked them in this story. But Christians, let me tell you. At the moment you said yes to Jesus Christ, at the moment you surrendered your life to the Holy Spirit of God, at the moment symbolized by the baptisms we've experienced today, that is the moment of the marking. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of God. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You will never lose Him. He will never lose you. But are you walking with Him? Are you being filled daily by the Spirit of God? Are you sighing and grieving at the sins of, of, commun- of the culture? Are you praying for others? Do you love the Lord? Does the way He views sin the same way you view sin? There's a whole lot of growth that has to happen in my own life here. But what is so shocking, what is so shocking is not the discipline is not the destruction, but the deliverance.